Welcome to the Criterion Chat, a podcast about cinema in the Criterion Collection. I'm Matt Peterson, joined by Nate Myers. Tonight, Lamohang Jeremiah Moses's 2019 feature, This Is Not a Burial, It's a Resurrection. Mantoa, played by Mary Tawala Malongo, is an 80-year-old widow, a pillar of a small mountain village in Lesotho. Having recently lost her husband, she counts her many worldly losses, including some of her children and grandchildren. She has turned her back on life and God, proclaiming her suffering has no meaning and welcomes death. When her village is told they must relocate due to the pending building of a dam, she and her fellow villagers must face a sea of history and pain while contending with the waves of progress and modernity. Released by the Criterion Collection in 2023, Mosese's film is a searing portrait of one woman's spiritual journey in the face of turbulent change. So Nate, uh, you know, I thought we'd talk about a a more recent entry in the Criterion Collection. This uh, was just released earlier this year, and um, unfortunately, the star of this film, Mary Tuala uh, Malongo passed away uh, shortly after it was premiered, or was it before it was premiered or shortly after? It was around the time the film was released. It was after, because it came out in 2019 and she died in 2020. Okay. This is a title that really caught my eye, a very striking cover from Criterion, uh, sounded sort of up my alley in terms of the subject matter and some of the themes it's, it's exploring, and... Uh, this is my first time seeing it, and I, I was quite affected by it. I, th- I think it's a very powerful film, and I think we have quite a bit to talk about here. But I'll just turn it over to you to start, just your first impressions of this film and and just your initial thoughts. Yeah, it's. Uh, I was thinking about this in terms of that phrase, foreign film, which I know yeah. has fallen out of favor recently. I think perhaps a little silly that that term is looked at as pejorative because it's not. Uh, It just recognizes that some films come from a different culture, a different part of the world, and there's no judgment in that. Uh, So I don't think there's any real reason to have a a negative thought regarding this idea of a foreign film. But this film is definitely what I would call a foreign film in the sense that it really is not Western. Uh, It is truly of its place and it, brings you to that place very effectively, right? So obviously as a Midwestern American, I've never been to Lesotho. I've not been to South Africa. And so I do not know all the intricacies of these cultures. I would not have any idea of what is the relationship between this landlocked country within uh, the country of South Africa and how that all plays out. But watching this film, you really do have the sense of being transfixed and moved into that place and into this village. And you really do get the sense of Montoya's journey. And it's not something that really reflects an American or Western European sensibility. Now, I know that Mosose uh, is educated and I think currently living in Berlin or at least somewhere in Germany. So he has obviously a lot of Western influences himself but it doesn't really come through here actually what i was thinking about after watching this film 
which for me was also the first time I saw it, was its relationship to another 2019 foreign film. Uh, that would be Parasite, which is also in the collection and was a huge hit. Won the Best Picture Oscar, the first non-English film, uh, English language film to win that and uh, has uh, obviously a historical footing because of that. But that movie really doesn't strike me as being any fundamentally different in its mores, its worldview, than something that could come out of L.A. or New York City. It happens to have come from South Korea, but realistically, its its techniques, its storytelling, its its view of class, its understanding of society is thoroughly Western. This really is not Western. It is a foreign film, and I think it's really refreshing I don't know that I would say this is a great film. I think it's probably too long. It gets a little repetitive in terms of how it, it achieves a certain effect and then it does it again and again. So I think it could be tighter, but as far as an actual experience of a different culture, a different worldview, it's quite impressive. Yeah, it's a good way to characterize it. I, You really do feel transported into this village and, I mean, you get a sense of the poverty there, but that's really not, like, the main focus of the film either. Uh, you, you really are immersed in this culture. And, and you're right to say that, you know, as Westerners, I, I, I'm not going to pretend to understand all the cultural nuances that are likely present in this film, right? And, and people from that part of the world are probably pick up on more depth and meaning than then we can glean from it necessarily. And uh, you had mentioned the history of Lesotho as, as a landlocked area in South Africa. And I, you know, I'm not aware of the history of that area. So I, I just get the sense there's a lot lost on me in that regard in, in terms of what this film is getting at. But at the same time, there, there are definitely universal themes that come through very clearly here. Um, you know, I, I thought we should just start with with an examination of, of the main character, Mentoa, uh, and her journey throughout this film is clearly the central kind of touch point for the audience and, and also for the events on screen. And um, Maria Tuala Malongo's performance is nearly silent for a, a, a great portion of this film, right? I mean... Uh, she's basically taken a vow of silence early on because of her grief, and she eventually starts speaking and has you know some pretty animated outbursts at certain points, especially um, to the local priest, uh, really expressing her frustration, her her pain, uh, just how her suffering has no meaning, and it, it, it's an interesting place to put a character like this right because you, you kind of always assume that the the village elder uh is going to be the wisest uh is going to be the one that has the life experience and the most perspective and and hopefully the uh they're the most level-headed you know i think about the the village elder and like kurosawa seven samurai who lives in the the mill you know everyone just goes over to the mill to, to ask the elder what they should do in a situation. Well, well, this, in this film, it's kind of turned on its head. And not to say that her character isn't wise or doesn't have, um, you know, life experience that informs her 
decisions in a positive way, but she's clearly in pain, right? She's clearly suffering. She's clearly uh, having difficulty reconciling the tragedies of her life. And then on top of it, she's, you know, faced with the encroachment of this project to build a dam, uh, forcing her village to, to move elsewhere. So it really, really is kind of brings all these emotions and all these events uh, to a real emotional culmination. Uh, so I, any thoughts just on her character and, and the struggles that she faces, uh, especially early on in the film? I think the character of Montoa is really quite simple. And I don't mean that in uh, a sense that, you know, she's she's a, a simpleton, you know, that it's just that it's pretty straightforward. She's 80 years old. She's a widow. Uh, she's expecting the return of her grandson who dies. And then she goes into a, a period of grief, is readying herself for death and finds through this journey a, a kind of a new purpose when she's recognizing the connection to the land and particularly to the cemetery. It's So it's a fairly simple arc, but it's captured so beautifully by Mary Tuala Malongo, who in this performance does so much through her her physicality. And it's not a physicality that's big and grand. It's actually quite small and simple and subtle, You know, just the way she holds her hands, the way she will move her head, uh, the slowness of her walking, right? Uh, it really commands your attention. I'm thinking of the scene in particular where after she's gone to the capital to talk about the relocating of the graves and what that would involve and how that works, and she she gets off the bus, right? You know, So she, she kind of is, a, in a certain sense, a protest. Uh, she gets off the bus that would lead and she starts walking on her own. The camera just stays back and you watch her walk off the bus and then there's a bit of nothing, you know, you can't see her. Then all of a sudden you see her through the windshield walking down the street in this extremely far uh, long shot. And yeah. it's just amazing how you are completely drawn into her through that, right? And this is... I think it's it's a perfect blending of director and actor in that particular setting, right? Because it's it's the wisdom of the direction not to go for those excessive close-ups, go for a bunch of ways of trying to accentuate or overemphasize certain features of the performance, but rather letting the performance have the room to breathe and allowing it to take on a kind of gravitas through the overall characterization that consists a lot of uh, the actress being able to know her body, knowing her her physical presence, and then, as needed, right, adding to that through her her line readings, which, like you say, at the beginning are fairly minimal. There are moments where they're pretty strong. Uh, you know, you you mentioned the conversations with the priest. I'm also think when she's speaking with the parliamentarian, uh, who's advocating and working to corral the village to support this this relocation uh, that will take place to make way for the dam. Uh, all of those moments she delivers very well on, but her overall performance is really quite subdued uh, that then draws you, I think, to really meditate on this character and the gradual change that leads to that final scene, right, uh, where she, she marches towards the 
the crew that's going to be doing the the construction. Uh, you know, it's it's really interesting this journey in this performance, uh, which I think delivers quite strongly. I, I think the the character really can't be separated from the performance that we have here. I, I would agree. The the physicality of the performance is central here, and and just her presence, her screen presence, and and just her her face in particular. You know, just that uh, very memorable. Uh, kind of persona that that she creates uh with how she dresses she's in that kind of black morning cloak all the time and um she has a very stoic appearance during much of the film but it's it's there's always something very relatable and very human that kind of shines through uh her grief right and it's it's a very effective performance, and and uh, the film takes a very painterly sort of approach to a lot of its visuals, which we can get into more. But uh, you know her her frame, the way she carries herself, the way the light hits, you know, the wrinkles in her face, all these elements really contribute to um, to the film thematically, visually. Uh, really in every way. So it's, it's, uh, it's really an effective performance. But like you said, she's not really doing a whole lot, right? And the film doesn't really require her to either. And I think there's a real understanding between the actor and the director in terms of what they're trying to accomplish here. Um, but the... I probably should just get into the visuals at this point because they, they kind of go hand in hand with with the physicality and what we're talking about. Um, the cinematography here I was very, very striking to me. I mean, I, I thought it was some of the visuals here are very powerful. Uh, it's in a, you know, one one three three frame or you know, academy ratio. Yes, yeah, so I'm just curious on that, just that question about the ratio before you go on. Um, yeah. Do you think that's a product of limitations in terms of the materials they had to work with? Or do you think that's even in African cinema, the hipster filmmaker wants to use the Academy ratio? (laughs) Well, I was actually going to use this as an opportunity to talk about this phenomenon because this ratio is coming back, right? We're seeing it quite a bit. You know, David Lowry, uh, I think a ghost story is probably one of the more standout examples recently where... This. Even Justice League, the Snyder Cut, did it in the yeah. Academy ratio. But but this you know this goes full hipster with even with the rounded corners on the frame. See, so mm-hmm. you, you can't really call it hipster unless you have the rounded corners. That's it, true. It's interesting. You know, I, I think this film was actually shot digitally, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so I was this, wondering. I thought it would be. I thought it was. Yeah. Yeah. But it it sure looks like film, though. I mean, just the color timing, I, I think, is fantastic. I, I just love the use of color in this film. And there's there's a sort of subdued intensity to it. It's hard to describe. I mean, everything feels very saturated, but it's not, like, really bright or overexposed. So it's kind of this muted saturation to the color timing that just feels very, very... Um, 
unique and very distinct. It feels like an older film in many ways. I, I mean, I, I think of, you know, films uh, from the 70s or uh, even just old documentary films that you would see in grade school on, on like 16 millimeter film or something. It just kind of reminded me of that, that sort of feel and that sort of look. So I really, uh, I really thought visually this film was very, very strong and, and the framing, um, you know, a lot of characters are toward the bottom of the frame, a lot of negative space, really a lot of featuring of the environment of the, the mountains and, and the villages and, and, the, uh, the surroundings of uh, Lesotho. So that was really almost another character in the film, just the, the setting of this picture, right? And, and I think the, you would almost think that a, a film or a location with vistas like this country would uh, do better with a scope you know, two, three, five frame or something like that. But for some reason, this works well because it, it uses the vertical quite well. And there's a real painterly approach to a lot of the visuals here, especially a lot of the interiors, uh, use of firelight, candlelight. The production design really exemplifies the colors as well, right? That very distinctive blue color to the walls inside of her house, and the drapes that are a slightly different shade of blue, if I'm remembering correctly. So that there's a real uh, beautiful aesthetic and a really impressive level of thought put into uh, the set design and or the set decoration and the cinematography. Uh, so any other thoughts on your end in terms of the visuals? Well, I was actually struck by how little... Actually, it seems to me they played up the vistas. Um, they It's not that they're absent, but they don't seem to really do, like you say, by not having the scope ratio, obviously you don't get the sense of a panoramic shot. Yeah. But they also, even when they're framing it, they don't really give you big, grand, you know, sweeping shots. They don't have anything that really seems to call attention to the landscape uh, in that kind of romantic or sentimental way, which I think is the right move. I think it's right for them not to do that because that would probably undercut the somberness of it and the sense of a, this is almost like an elegy about, about country, right? And if you start having it be really beautiful and vistas that way, it would probably be something where you can't help but can get swept up in it and you start thinking of it as it's a celebration versus it's kind of a, a morning uh, as your morning with her. Now, that being said, I think that they do a couple of really neat things with, with the cinematography here. Uh, it's extremely carefully uh, photographed in the sense that as, as you're watching it, uh, the, the placement of certain objects in the frame really are evocative of ideas. So I'm thinking about how this, this tree emerges at different points of time in the village. And it gives it this subtle sort of sense of it. And it should be noted that the name of the village is Nazareth. Uh, so that's it, obviously yeah, that's a, right. a deliberate, a deliberate uh, biblical reference there. But there's a tree in it, right? And it, it just you can't help but start thinking about the idea of like the tree uh, of life in in um, the book of Genesis, right? This the sense of this Eden that's there, right? And 
you know, what's what's in the land is is sacred in a certain sense. It has that quality to it. It doesn't call attention to it. It's not hitting you on the nose about it, but it does have that feeling to it, right? Uh, just by having that that tree come in and these these nice green pastures and this serene, very quiet, undisturbed area. But then the way it handles the night, right, with the the dark shadows, the playing with the uh, with the firelight uh, and how that illuminates things is really quite impressive. I, I love that shot where you have the the bulldozers off in the distance over the horizon at night. You know, you can see the lights, you hear them uh, making noise, but you're not actually seeing them, but you, you feel like the menace that's out there, right? And the way the darkness in that shot really helps to cement the the sense of unknown. What is to come? What's going to change? The world is going to no longer be the same, right? It's, it's all very effective. Uh, my understanding is just doing a little bit of look at the features and little bit of research. This is the first time uh, that our director had ever used a different cinematographer. So uh, Pierre, I think it's Pierre de Villiers uh, is the pronunciation for the cinematographer here. And it's just very well done. Extremely, extremely uh, carefully shot. And a lot of the power, as you say, comes from that. And they're very long takes as well. I mean, this film is pretty minimal editing, right? I mean, it's really a largely a, a series of longer takes, slow zooms, very, very Linden, very Kubrickian in that regard. Um, I was getting some Tarkovsky vibes in this film as well, much to your chagrin, I'm sure, Nate. Uh, but well, they're... Tarkovsky makes a good looking movie. I, I may not like what he's doing, but I have to admit he does make good looking movies. Yeah, I, I... I definitely felt some inspirations here from those directors, whether or not that informed the picture or not, hard to say for sure, but uh, there there definitely seemed to be some parallels there. So just how everything was very well considered, you know, there's the use of mirrors uh, in one shot, I remember, that was very impressive, and just kind of, there, there's a, a subtlety to it that you wouldn't necessarily... Um, wouldn't necessarily expect from a film that has such grand themes, right? But it, it really draws you in. Uh, but we, we should also mention the narrator. So the film really opens in this kind of desolate-looking building. Uh, we get the sense that maybe it's the near future or something, and and there's almost this shaman-like character, I'm not quite sure how else to describe him, that makes several appearances throughout the film and, and narrates at times, really elevating the story to kind of a mythic, almost fairy tale-like quality. Uh, any any thoughts on that uh, that device or that technique there, Nate? Yeah, so the... I guess he's like a seer. Um, I, I don't know if that if I'm really capturing the intent there correctly, but at least that's the way I understood it. Because he's he's narrating the story. He's playing this musical instrument uh, with this very rich, uh, evocative voice. Um, so yeah, I, I always saw I, I saw him as kind of a seer that's relaying to us the the meaning of it. I thought that was interesting. I also thought though that that was something that maybe could have been done without. Uh, so mm-hmm. I did enjoy it. I found it very, the sound, the, particularly the score uh, of that instrument, uh, 
is very strong, but I also wondered, would the movie be better without this? Uh, would it be more interesting without this? Uh, as we, as we try to get into the, the mind of our, of our protagonist. Uh, so I don't know. I wasn't, I wasn't completely sold on it. I thought it could be something that could be done without. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, it, it adds sort of, of a poetic flavor to the film, I think. And like I said, it elevates it to you know, maybe a fable or just something more mythical. But I, I would agree. I don't think the film necessarily needed it. And perhaps it would have felt more authentic even without that. Uh, I don't know. I, I, that's one of those cultural touchstones that I feel like is maybe lost on me, you know, that especially the, the type of instrument that he's playing and, and, and just his whole persona seems to imply some kind of cultural touchstone that maybe I'm not aware of. But um, it was an interesting device, an interesting way to, to open the film and, and certainly not, not uh, expected. But it does well, kind of disappear, right? I mean, did yeah. you feel like it just it sort of just disappears and then it comes back? I, I couldn't get the rhythm of it. Yeah, it, it, I, I would say it's heavier in the beginning, right? And then as the main story picks up momentum, it, it sort of seems to fall away, and probably appropriately so. But I, that could further just the argument that maybe it wasn't needed at all. But, you know, I, I would agree with you overall. I, I think the film is pretty effective, but, you know, it could have been shortened a bit. Yeah, uh, there's definitely some long takes, which I don't necessarily mind, but um, some of the editing probably could have been tightened up a bit, and I don't think the film would have been any less effective. So uh, there are some stylistic, you know, stylistic excesses at times in this film, I think. But not to the point where it seemed really gratuitous um, or or overly annoying or anything. I, I felt it, it still kept its power and remained effective throughout. Um, but I would I, agree. I think. I mean, it's it's again. It's it's when these are these are criticisms that I think should be understood as it's not like this is ruining the film. It's more that it's just it's maybe keeping it from having hit that absolute level of excellence, right? I mean, it's, it should be noted that we're dealing with, I think this is the first feature-length narrative film uh, by Mosesi. Uh, maybe I'm wrong about that, but I thought I read that. He'd done a couple of other films before, and he'd been a poet, uh, but I, 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 I had the sense this is his first time doing it, so he might just be able to refine some of that a little bit after this first time. Yeah, yeah. I, I would definitely look forward to seeing what else he what else he creates. Cause, um, yeah, for me anyway, this is pretty effective, but also, also the theme of encroaching modernity, right. Or just capitalism, if you want to call it, or, um, modernization, however you want to characterize it, just this idea of this dam being built and this village having to relocate. And that's, that's a theme we've, we've seen many, many times, and at first I was a little bit disappointed thinking like, oh, you know, here we go again. You, you can maybe get a sense of where this film is going. But 
it, it manages to subvert those expectations. I think, I think it handles the challenge that that sort of event presents. I think it handles that challenge quite well with a sense of maturity that, that a lot of films lack. Uh, you know, the village's initial reaction makes sense, right? And they're kind of curious about it. They're not necessarily resisting it completely. And then they sort of band behind, band together around the idea that they're not going to move and, and they're going to stand their ground. And some unexpected, you know, violent events start occurring, uh, unfortunately. And, and that causes a real rift within uh, the village. But you, you get the sense that there's inevitability to this dam, right? That this project is going to happen kind of regardless of their resistance or anything they might try, uh, which feels more realistic in some ways. I, I mean, the film could have very easily turned into, you know, Mentoa's character somehow sacrifices herself in a way that allows her village to stay. It could have gotten very sentimental, right? It could have gotten very over the top in that regard uh, quite easily. And and the film manages to avoid that and deliver a, a message of hope, a message of, you know, resurrection as the film's title uh, proclaims, but in such a way that doesn't feel false. Right. Well, I think that's part of what I was getting at earlier when I was talking about this as being like a foreign film. I think what we've all seen films about you know, the environment or about um, uh, the idea of you know modernity or the encroaching of progress or whatever, but they all come through in a uh, a sense that you know the the story's going to turn out with a hero that rises up and throws something off like you say there's there's a sense of a narrative structure to it that doesn't really exist here and i think that's because this isn't just a past reality for the the people making this movie you know for americans or for europeans or for most of asia right any country that's gone through massive amounts of development you've already kind of done this where like hey we had this tiny little village uh, but then, nope, a highway had to come through or whatever else it might be, right? That's all old, old news for most people uh, that we're going to meet, right? But this film is dealing with it as a current lived reality. I think that's what gives it the kind of different feel to it than what you'd find in a different um, in a different uh, movie, right? And so that it has that quality, that sensibility of this is something real versus this is just kind of an abstract concept. What did you uh, think about the ending, though? I mean, I, how did what was your interpretation of of the ending? Spoiler alert for for people who haven't seen the film. I, if you haven't seen the film, you probably shouldn't be listening to this podcast anyway. So, <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine there's a ton of people who are like, you know, I wonder if I should see this is not a burial; it's a resurrection. Let me listen to a podcast. <laughs> um, so. <laughs> I would say, so how do I interpret the ending? Obviously, I think it doesn't matter whether she dies or doesn't die in this this pursuit. And it's it's the, I think it's more about that young girl that's watching her. I think, ah, I'm blanking on the name of the young girl right now. I think she's called the daughter of no one or 
I can't re- do you remember what the the young girl that's looking at hers called in the movie? Uh, not offhand. I daughter of no one sounds right to me for some reason, but I don't remember exactly. I just have a hunch of it's something along those lines. If it's not that, it's it's something that you know conveys the same idea. But yeah. you know, this idea of this girl is seeing something and seeing something that's gonna inspire her, and the next generation will rise up. So that at the end, you know that. Montoya has a purpose. She has a sense of what her life is about. She has uh, rediscovered, rekindled her dignity, right? I think that's what's really going on there. And I think that particular scene isn't so much about what we don't see afterwards. Uh, I mean, it's it's heavily implied that she's just going to wind up being killed uh, by this group of workers uh, as she charges them uh, naked. Uh, but she, that her stripping of her clothing, everything, I think it's her just saying, I'm, I'm resigned to dying here where I belong. I think that's what it's about. Yeah, you, you don't necessarily, uh, it's probably the best way to interpret it. I, I, it's, I mean, I, I keep thinking of the title, coming back to the title, right? It's not a burial, it's a, resur- it's a resurrection. It's really about this woman's, grief turning into meaning and turning into purpose in some mm-hmm. way. And and to me, that's, that's the resurrection it's speaking of, right? And right. she's preparing for death for most of the film. And maybe even in that last moment, she's also preparing for death or even expecting death. But it's, it's for reasons, for a purpose. You don't get the sense that she's necessarily accomplishing anything, right? It's it's a, right. more of a symbolic gesture. We know this dam is going to be built. We know this village is going to be relocated. It it doesn't feel like a victory in that sense, right? But it's really meant to be more of a personal victory, uh, a victory for her soul in particular. And right. that's... I, I mean, I, I think that's the right way to approach ending a film like this i i I was really wondering where i was going to go right (laughs) because you can kind of map out several different possibilities and and something that maybe was more heavy-handed or more pretentious or however you want to characterize it might have gone for something a bit uh a bit different but i think this is a pretty well-considered ending uh just it felt like it had the right balance of really a climax in a way, but it wasn't certainly wasn't over the top. Uh, it certainly wasn't uh, you know unrealistic. It just it, it felt like a good balance between yeah no I th- what would actually course, likely happen, um, but also really providing that redemptive moment that we're looking for. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. I think it definitely feels like a climax, but it feels like something that actually could happen. Yeah. Right. Whereas so many of these climaxes feel like that it can't happen or they or they become nihilistic even like you can't stop it. Therefore, nothing means anything. and Everything sucks. And this isn't <laughs> saying that. Right. Uh, so I think it's actually a very thoughtful ending. And I, I just want to pick up on a point you made there uh, real quickly that you said that you really didn't know where things were going to go. And I had the same sense of this. And that's not too often in movies. You know, you and I have seen so many movies. 
It's yeah. not too often you don't really feel like you know what's going to happen or what the director's up to or what his point is going to be. This is one of those films that did do that for me, right? I really felt the sense of watching something real unfold. Uh, if you if you had told me this was a documentary, you know, I mean, obviously it's not because you like the seer character and all those things. But I mean, so much of it could be like it's a documentary and. I'm sure it's very much based on real stories and real experiences that people have gone through, uh, but it really has an authenticity that does give it that unpredictability. Yeah, for sure. And I, at the same time, the, the film does follow a somewhat conventional narrative structure, right? I mean, there's there definitely feels like there's you know a traditional series of acts here and. Uh, really that low point when her her house burns down and we see her sitting in the wreckage and that very, very striking long shot with all the the sheep coming in to surround her, right? Which mm-hmm. I felt had a pretty biblical significance <laughs> uh, in that moment. So it's... It's interesting that it can really strike that balance between feeling like a documentary, yet still having that narrative through line that's somewhat fairly traditional, right? Yeah, I'd agree. I think you it, it is definitely not a character study. It's a true uh, three-act structure as a movie, um, which probably is where I think it could be maybe tighter because I'm, I'm pretty willing to go with free-flowing stuff when it comes to a character study. I, I mean, you kind of build into that the sense that a a non-structure uh, is going to happen, right? But this one here, I think, because it has that three-act structure is why I feel like it needs to be a little quicker on certain things than others. Yeah. Well, any other closing thoughts before we talk about Criterion's release? Uh... I would recommend this strongly. I, I really think it's... As far as a, a modern piece of world cinema, it's it's definitely got a distinct voice. It's going to bring something out that's very human and universal, but it's also very particular to the the nature of what is being reviewed and looked at here as a, as a story and a subject matter. Uh, so I would strongly recommend it to people. I, I think it's a very strong film, too. I, I'm looking forward to seeing more more work from... Uh, Mosesi. I, I think he's very talented. I like um, I like his visual style here. I like the the pacing, uh, just the thematic ambition. It was very refreshing, you know, to see mm-hmm. to see a film actually go for these bigger themes and and handle it pretty well. Uh, and, and I think any any film that transports you like this film does is something worth noting too. I just that real immersive quality in, in a world that's completely new to me anyway, was, was pretty powerful as well. Um, Mm -hmm. well, Criterion, uh, put this out earlier this year. So it's actually a fairly recent release, pretty striking cover. It's just, you know, it's the image of her sitting in her, um, burned out house, uh, surrounded by, all those sheep. It, it does have that, 
that very, I, I feel like I've seen a lot of poster artwork with this typography, you know, where it's kind of spread out. Um, that seems to be a trend these days, but it looks mm-hmm. nice regardless. Uh, in terms of features, it does have uh, 5.1 surround. It's a, a 2K digital master, so it you know, was shot on digital. Uh, there is an audio commentary with uh, the director and, and producer, and then there's some of uh, uh, short films on the release as well. And looks like an introduction by the director, and then the uh, the trailer and an essay. Are the I can't recall. Are, are this the special features are on the Criterion Channel still, right? I think almost all of them. I okay. I didn't get a chance to look at the short films. I did look at the interview with uh, the director, and I also looked at I did I, I listened to the commentary. So all that's still there. Um. So yeah, there, I think the it is still mostly up. Yep, it's it's still up there. How how was the commentary? You know, not as good as I had hoped. Uh, it was also with the producer, and um, okay. they don't really talk a lot about what they did or how they did things. Um, you know, they hmm. they have some interesting anecdotes. You hear a little bit about you know the 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 character was written to be basically kind of a a type of uh, his his grandmother. You know, that was the basis by which he made the movie. Uh, but then the with the casting that ultimately kind of took on a different flavor and character to the movie than what would have been just based on the script. So, so little things like that, but otherwise it's pretty, pretty scant on information. Uh, and it, they go off on the kind of their own tangents, uh, a fair amount. Hmm. It's too bad. All right. Well, the, the big question, Nate, so does, this is not a burial. It's a resurrection belong in the Criterion Collection. You know me, I'm pretty hesitant to state a movie is important when it's so fresh um, because how do we know if it's having an impact? I mean, this is a good movie, uh, don't get me wrong, but is it important? I think time will tell. It might wind up being, but as of right now, I think it's still too soon to say. So I'm going to say no, but... Maybe revisit me in a few years, and I would say yes. I, I would agree with you on that. I, I think it's a very strong film. I, I really enjoyed it. Like I said, I'm looking forward to more work from this director. Um, I, I do like that Criterion lately seems to be seeking out films like this to release them and get them more exposure. So, I, you know, I do support that idea. So I, I think Criterion should, you know, resurrect their Eclipse line. Uh, you know, I, I really kind of miss those releases. Those were DVD only, of course, but it'd be kind of cool if they did a, a line of Blu-rays for films like this, right? That uh, they want to get more exposure and, you know, they think it's something worth releasing, but maybe not necessarily in the collection itself. But I, I don't know. It feels like the Criterion Collection, it's getting so big now, it's getting pretty diluted when it comes to what we would consider classic or important that maybe those uh, qualifications or those requirements aren't becoming as important anymore. Well, thanks for listening to our conversation this evening. 
Our title next month will be The Kid Brother, which will be released in June. Thanks again, and keep collecting.